Amen. Thank you so much. It is wonderful to be back and to see things improving, to see things changing, because uh, no, one wants, no one wants to be stagnant in the Christian life. And no church needs to be stagnant and not have changes. And so uh, just things like the decor and the remodeling and the uh, foyer and the, the, all the classrooms, and those are all evidences that folks are volunteering, folks are enthusiastic, folks are energetic about serving, and that uh, we're still appealing, White Oak Baptist Church is still appealing to folks in the community. So I'm grateful to be here. My wife is here. Where did you end up sitting, Lynn? Right there. Okay, my wife is here. We've been married uh, in the years, and no. Uh, let's see. Is it 53? 54 this year or 54? I'm going to need to take one of those stress classes like the ladies have. But it's also uh, a delight to come uh, with both, both uh, Pastor Peslak in years gone by and uh, Pastor Lejeune now. Uh, comfortable, easy to come because I know the church is in good hands. And I know that uh, this pastor and his wife of course, are continuing that same fundamental, Bible-believing, King James, conservative church uh, that I had hoped to plant. And so I'm not ashamed of any of those phrases, and I'm sure the pastor isn't as well. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, in the Bible to uh, Genesis chapter number 39. Genesis chapter number 39. Genesis chapter number 39, and I'm going to read the first five verses aloud, and you can follow them in your Bible uh, quietly. So I'll read aloud, and you can follow quietly. Verse number 1 of Genesis chapter 39, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house and all that he had put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. I want to concentrate this morning on a phrase in verse 5. And the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would fill me with your spirit. May the Holy Spirit control what I say in such a way that Folks are encouraged, folks learn from the scriptures, folks are challenged as to what they can do, how they can respond, how their Christian walk can improve, how they can be more effective for you. I'm thankful for this opportunity, and I pray that everything that's said and done, everything that I've planned would be pleasing to you. If there's a part of the message that you'd just as soon I not preach, then I pray that you'd urge me to omit it. If there's something I need to say that I haven't planned on, 
I pray the Holy Spirit would make it so clear that I couldn't avoid it. Bless now in the time that we have. May you be honored. If there's a single person here in the auditorium who has not yet been saved, then I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work on their heart to ask the question, why not? Why delay? Why wait? And today might be the day when they find Christ, they receive him, have their sin forgiven, and have a new purpose in life through Christ. Bless now, I pray, in the name of Jesus, my Savior, amen. Well, there are perhaps two possibilities in understanding that phrase that I read from verse 5. That phrase again was, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. You know, in the English language, even things that we think are absolutely clear, we realize, especially in ministry, we write something out we think is absolutely clear. We give that to our secretary who immediately asks, what does this mean? And we say, well, it means that we're to stand up and leave the room and, and to hang this, uh, hang this thing on the wall. It seems so clear to us. And they say, which room? Oh, I didn't say that, did I? Hmm. Well, it's going to be the room right, right outside, the first room on the right. I actually saw this happen this week in an office area where a person was told, go to the first room on the right, and they went to the first room on the right and turned into the closet. And they said, this door, oh no, not, not the closet, the room on the right, which is really the second door. You know, we try to be very clear, but we're not always successful. Well, the wonderful thing about the Bible is there are times when it, the English grammar seems perfectly right, and yet there are more than one interpretation. Have you ever been listening to a message as a preacher gave the message and challenged you, and yet as he explained a verse, you saw it completely differently? Anybody like that? Right? Didn't mean that the pastor was wrong. Didn't mean that you were the only one right. It's just that the Holy Spirit sheds light, and we see things differently. And in this passage, with the same English words repeated, there are at least two ways to understand that phrase, and the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The first way is he might be saying that Potiphar's home was protected, that Potiphar's home was prosperous, it was peaceful, it was intentionally blessed by the Lord, so Joseph could benefit from that peace and that security. I mean, after all, he had been a slave, right? He'd been sold by his brothers after being put in a pit to Ishmaelite slave traders and taken down into Egypt, put on some sort, some sort of a slave stand. How else would we expect? Some sort where... A man named Potiphar looked and said, well, he's young, he's healthy, maybe I can use this fella, and bought him. I don't think any of us would want to go through that process. We could have, he could have been purchased in a home where the master beat him. He could have been purchased in a home where none of his talents and none of his abilities were ever used. He could have been purchased in a home where someone was so blasphemous against Jehovah God when he discovered that Joseph was Jewish, that his life was miserable, but no. He was put in a home where Potiphar soon noticed his skill set, 
where Potiphar gave him opportunities to excel, where Potiphar apparently did not diminish his worship of Jehovah. In fact, the Bible's silent, but we can kind of picture that Joseph probably did his best to tell his new master about the one true God. Wouldn't you expect that from Joseph? I would think so. And so one interpretation of that phrase is, God had provided a home by Potiphar's hand for Joseph's blessing. Now we know from the scripture that that Potiphar was a military leader in Pharaoh's kingdom. So how long did that take? I imagine that Potiphar had risen, and it took time. It took time to establish himself in his career. It took time for his accomplishments to be noticed. It took time for him to receive the benefits financially, socially, from his career, to build a house, to have a wife, to accumulate wealth so that he could buy Joseph. That's not an overnight, that's not a one-hour deal. And God had allowed all that to happen, so when the gavel came down, Joseph was now owned by Potiphar, and it was for Joseph's sake. So that's one of the thoughts, that God in his timetable had already allowed this man Potiphar to rise in his stature, rise in his abilities, so that when Joseph needed the right home, it was there and ready. The second interpretation, the second interpretation of that same phrase, and the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, the second one is that because Joseph is there, because Joseph has arrived, because Joseph has relied upon Jehovah God to deliver him, because Joseph now is seeking to do right by his master, to be honest, which, of course, we know in future days would come into Joseph's loyalty and his purity in denying the advances of Potiphar's wife. But that Joseph was there, and Potiphar allowed his skills to be used, allowed him to to direct to be the steward over all of his property, both the buildings and the fields, meaning the, the other workers and the properties themselves and the finances behind them. and All this placed in Joseph's hand. But that because Joseph was there, Potiphar was blessed. That's the other way we could look at it. He blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake or because Joseph was there. Both of those aspects, he raised up a man who could give Joseph a blessing by the security and safety of a home. And because Joseph was there, he could bless the prosperity of the home and the master could benefit because Joseph was there. Both of those interpretations can legitimately be forwarded from the English language. I want to look at both of those this morning and apply them a little more to the 21st century. Apply them to folks here at White Oak Baptist. Generally to all Christians, but especially here. 
And I'm going to use some illustrations from my life and how it interacted, intersected the history of White Oak Baptist. But for the purpose of saying God blesses others through the lives that we live. And the blessings that we receive have become have come to us through those who preceded us. When I received Christ as a young husband and father, just a week before my wife got saved, that was a blessing that she got saved a week later. I knew very little about the Bible and I knew absolutely nothing about the Christian life. What I did know was that a church existed where a pastor preached the gospel, loved his flock, loved his Lord, was honest, hardworking, faithful. That's what I knew. I was saved in a, a Bible church, Waterford Community Church, which had been winning and discipling souls before I ever showed up. He, the pastor, Roger Campbell, emphasized walking with the Lord through prayer, witnessing to the lost, reading and obeying the scriptures. The church had been numerically and spiritually growing before I was ever a part of any service there in that community. God had prepared Waterford Community Church for me. So, well, Pastor, that's a little arrogant, don't you think? I mean, didn't he prepare the church for all the people that went there? Of course. But I think it's important that we realize in our own life, day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute, that God has done things that affect us, not just, well, of course, he's blessed. That's too generic. That's too wide. I don't think we can appreciate all that God's done for us unless we see these kinds of events, that this was meant for me. That on the week that I came and the weeks that followed, my wife and I attended there for probably five or six times at least, and God was patient with me and God worked with me. I came from a colleague at work that invited me and had gotten saved himself. <clears throat> and through that, I was prepared to listen. But it took a while for stubbornness took a while for that to ease, and that my pride could be reduced enough to say, yes, I need to get saved. But the church was there. The pastor was there. The music was there. I remember the first day I went, they had an organ and a piano, and I said, whoa, I've never been in a church like this. Because I'd never been in a church that used a piano. I'd only been in those formal Protestant churches. Wom, wom, wom. Every song was a funeral dirge. Wong, wong. This church sang. Wow. Do you think they sang the week before I arrived? I bet they did. Do you think there were instrumentalists rehearsing a month before I arrived? I bet they were. But I consider that all that was prepared so I could get saved. I needed to be saved. All of that for me. The church had been blessed with growth and with a good pastor and with the, the skills of the folks in the music department and the Sunday school department and the witnessing and 
had been blessed with all that so that I could benefit. I was the beneficiary. I wasn't the only one, but God had raised up that rescue station, and I was blessed. In fact, in those early weeks forward, the Lord opened door after door, and people and places who had experienced God's blessings in their own life, preachers, evangelists, missionaries, fellow Christians that I worked with, I had no idea they were saved, and I got saved and started meeting people. We started a Bible study on, on Fridays at lunch hour in the lab in which I worked, and, and, and all of that was happening, and I was the recipient. I was blessed. Every time a guest speaker came to my home church, the blessings that God had poured out on his ministry was extended to me. Every time a missionary visits White Oak Baptist Church, the blessings that God has poured out in their ministry is extended to you. Every time a guest comes, every time there's a video shown that's a help and is approved, and every time a book is suggested, those are all ways in which you're blessed because God has blessed other people. It's a chain. John R. Rice taught me about the filling of the Holy Spirit. I still remember this day going to lunch with Dr. Rice. One other, fa- one other staff member and myself were asked to take him out. He was a guest in the church. I wasn't the pastor. I was on staff. And one of the blessings of staff sometimes is you get to do some things that a busy pastor can't do. Brother Rice was with us for a few days, and I was set on, on Tuesday or whatever day it was, you're going to take him out. I went to lunch. Went to lunch at the Big Boy on Squirrel Road in Pontiac, Michigan. Big Boys are good places to go to lunch, by the way, but that's another message. The... The server, in those days we called him a waitress, but I know that can't be used today. Uh, But the server came up to us, and Dr. Rice looked at her. And he always was chewing his glasses, and he looked at her, and he said, Hmm, you're having some hard things happen. I can tell. It looked like her eyes were puffy and maybe she'd been crying. Can I pray for you? She immediately burst into tears. I mean, a well of tears. Ten minutes later, she was saved. And I said, if she'd come up to me alone, I would have said, "Uh, I'm going to think I'm going to have a double cheeseburger with extra bacon hold the onions and give me extra dill pickle. And she would have gone about her business still tearful, still heavy-hearted. And I said, wow. I wish I were like that. Curtis Hudson taught me about soul winning. Gardner Gentry taught me about the bus ministry. Frank Garlock encouraged me to choose godly music. Clyde Kendall taught me about walking in the Spirit. Oh, were they all in some sort of class? Was it one-on-one? No, it wasn't one-on-one. I remember Curtis Hudson said that whenever he won someone to the Lord, 
down in Georgia, whenever he won someone to the Lord, he said, I'd like you to be part of our discipleship program. And, and I'm for just what was happening here. This was excellent. One-on-one and small groups is the best. But he said what he would do is, he said, I want you to be part of our discipleship program. And the person would say, well, I'm willing to do that. When does it happen? And Curtis Hudson would say 9.30 on Sunday morning, which was the Sunday school hour at Forest Hills Baptist Church. So no, I wasn't taught one-on-one, but through books, through guests, through my pastor, all of that continued to learn. I was blessed because God had already blessed those people and they had matured in their Christian walk so much further than me that their blessing just escaped and was poured out on me. And the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the Lord blessed the house of John Rice and Curtis Hudson and Gardner Gentry and Clyde Kendall just for Barry's sake. Now, I know that's not true. I mean, ultimately, I, I know I wasn't the only one. But I think when we consider counting our blessings, as the song would say, we need to get more detailed and more personal than just, oh, life has been so good, I'm so glad I'm saved, and see where God has actually led you, helped you, sustained you, answered your prayers, taught you, strengthened you, and used you. I benefited because Jehovah God had blessed another believer's life and ministry. In 1980, (coughs) after seeking to rent 17 different meeting places in Stratford, Connecticut, 1980, we arrived, uh, we arrived in the nice season to go soul winning, January 1st week. <coughs> Great planning, huh? But uh, we started uh, Get Acquainted meetings. Audrey's not here today, but she was there. Get Acquainted meetings in February of 1980 at the YMCA, and we sought to rent a building. We'd been to 17 different meeting places and had been told, no, 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 no. Some had been so bold as to say, no, I'm Catholic and I'd never rent to a Baptist. I'm just saying that because that was real. And, uh, And others just said, no, our policy is this or that. We'll rent for one week. We only rent our meeting place for one week. We won't commit to a month or we won't commit to... And finally... I was sitting on Ferry Boulevard in the office of a Jewish man. And the business was Connecticut Business Institute, which was a post-high school secretarial training for secretarial work with this fancy new technology called word processors, (laughs) which were about this big, you know. And... uh, And travel agents? (laughs) What's a travel agent? Oh, and medical medical records. Now, that's still pretty good, I guess. But I sat across from a gentleman, Manny Pallant, and asked if we could rent his all-purpose room. How many of you remember meeting at the the CBI building? A half dozen of you or more will, okay? 
there was an all-purpose room that had curtains that were drawn, and when you opened it all up, it was uh, not as big as even half this auditorium. And I said, we really like to, to, to rent that on Sundays. We'd, we'd love to be able to use it on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings. Have you ever considered renting it? We had been told that he had, but when I came in to talk to him personally, face-to-face, he said, we've never done that. I don't know who told you that. Oh, okay. Well, here's what we'd like to do. And he looked at me, and he asked some questions, and then he said this. I don't know what you Baptists believe. In fact, he pronounced it Baptiste. I don't know what you Baptists believe. But a Baptist church allowed me to rent their basement when I started this business. And I'm willing to return the favor. Now, the Baptist church that rented that basement was a liberal Baptist church in Bridgeport that allowed him to rent a little space. He had succeeded. He had grown his business. He had leased this full building and now was in a position to to rent to us. So I think sometimes in Smile, God even used a liberal... to provide for us. Now, Manny was Jewish, and he never got saved as far as I know. I can't tell if he did later in life, but in our relationship, I witnessed to him more than once and talked to him, and he was earnest, and he had good questions, but as far as I know, he never received Christ. But just as Joseph was blessed because of the Egyptian, our church was blessed because of Other events in another life, completely unpredictable, completely in the sovereign hands of God, completely out of our control. I believe that years earlier in his sovereignty, God had directed a sequence of events so building number 18 would be ours. And we were there for eight years. Yeah, we'll probably be here for a year or so as our church gets underway, man in eight years, all for us. In July of 1980, I pulled into a narrow parking lot of the post office. I had a soul-winning partner with me, a church member, and it's that little parking lot, I think it's still just like that off uh, Main Street, you know, you just... There's a half dozen spaces, that's about it. I pulled in, and we had a post office box in the early days, Pastor Lejeune, P.O. Box 113, indelible in my brain. And so I pulled in, and I said to my soul-winning partner, I've got to go in and get, and get a check. And he said, oh, you're expecting a check. And I said, no, I'm not. Now, I want you to put yourself in that conversation for a moment. You're with the pastor, and he says, oh, I've got to go in and get a check. And then you say, oh, you're expecting a check. Now, isn't that a reasonable comment? Oh, you're expecting a check to be told, no, I'm not. It was early in July, and what I know is that we had bills due the day after July 4th. There was a holiday. I think it was on a Sunday or Monday, but day after July 4th, we had bills due that we did not have the money for as a church. Well, it was kind of like this. Either we didn't have the money for it as a church, or I didn't have the money for my personal bills as a pastor, 
But in one way or another, we didn't have the money. And time was running out. So my brain just kind of clicked, and I thought, well, how can God do this? Now, I'm sure he could have done it in a number of ways, but I just fastened on this, go to the post office, and see if there's something in the mail. Are you ever looking for things in your mailbox? Ah, yeah. The government tricked me the last time, you know. They sent that, that, that COVID money. They put it in my bank account. That's a trick. I wanted to see it in the post office. Anyway, so, so I went in, and I came out with an envelope. The return address on the envelope was the name of a young college student, and boy, they're all rich, a young college student that I had taught before coming to Connecticut. I had been in Atlanta, Georgia, that, that, the Atlanta area for two years, and he'd been in my college and career Sunday school class. And I knew that he was broke. And I thought, oh boy, okay, well, Lord, I'm not sure what you're going to do, but we owe this money. I came out, and I opened the envelope. And there was a note. And it said, Brother Brown, I was talking to my grandmother, and I told her about my Sunday school teacher going to start a church in Connecticut. And I, and I wondered and said, is there any way we can help him? Now, my grandmother owns some, some land, a forest stand, and every year foresters come through and they mark trees and they, they call the trees to keep the stand healthy and then they tell her what they've taken out and they send her a small check to pay for the lumber that they've taken. And she said, well, you know, I just got that money from the lumber. Let's send him $300. Wow. Three hundred wasn't going to come close to what we owed. <laughs> so I said, wow, there's a check for $300. And, of course, my soul-winning partner was like, wow, you're kidding. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, human as I am and, you know, disappointedly in a sense, but there's a lot more I need. And then it said, P.S., we were talking again after dinner, and she said, I don't think that's enough. I'm putting in a second check. And there was another check for $200. Now we're getting within range. That's good. And so I'm reading it, and I kept right on reading. P.S.S. Got up this morning. We're sending you the whole thing. <laughs> Third check. 900 altogether. Paid the bill. Wow. So God grew a wood stand, a forest stand, in Georgia. You say, well, now isn't that a little ridiculous? No. Where'd the money come from? God grew a forest stand in Georgia that had to be, that had to be cleaned out. For, and a person I never met, whose grandson was in a Sunday school class, who went to visit her, who gave money to someone she'd never known and continued giving until it was all gone. And the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Now, God works behind the scenes 
1991, I attended a conference at Madison Avenue Baptist Church in Patterson, New Jersey. Conference at a church that was recently taken by a new pastor there, Clarence Sexton. Many of you may have heard of his name, the founder at the Crown College in Powell, Tennessee. But he was a younger man then, and he was pastoring in New Jersey, and I had known him for some years already. So I went to the conference with my wife, Lynn, and they had, of course, at a conference several speakers. Well, we were at a point at the end of 1981 of me being considered by the church to go full-time, and that was a big deal. That was a big deal. I had met with the deacons and talked to them, and I said, this is what has to come to pass, because I've seen pastors who are always struggling always behind in their finances, and they left ministries. I'm not going to treat my family like that. So we need these minimum, this minimum salary in order for us to survive. But that minimum salary was like, <gasps> when you compared it to the offerings we were having. So I went up to one of the guests. Dr. Tom Wallace. Dr. Tom Wallace I had met briefly. He was pastor in Louisville, Kentucky, Beth Haven Baptist in Louisville, Kentucky, many, many years ago now. This was 81. And I was going to ask him if he could put us on a prayer list because of that decision. And I'm thinking if you could pray for us for a few weeks or a few days. And I walked up to him and I said, uh, Dr. Wallace, now, you probably don't remember me. I met you briefly. He said, of course I remember you, Barry. And I pray for White Oak Baptist Church every day. Beth Haven was not one of our supporting churches when we started. I had never preached there. I would never visited the church. As I say, I would encountered him in, uh, as, as in my home church as a guest for him, to, I was astounded and encouraged to think that someone several states away would be praying for White Oak Baptist Church every day. He was praying for new plants across the country and doing it sincerely enough to actually know the pastor's names. And we were included. God prepared a successful pastor in a large southern church to lift our name up and our need up before his heavenly throne. And we were blessed because he'd been blessed. In 1988, the Lord had prepared a pro this property for us. By his grace, we'd saved a considerable down payment. My memory serves me. I think we had $175,000 as a down payment to purchase the brick building. Had been an elementary school in years gone by. But no bank was, would even consider our mortgage. Then I was given a contact, a bank vice president, a name to call that I'd never known, never met. And he was in, interested in helping the community. In fact, his bank, and I won't mention it now because... 
Ten years later, they turned us down on another mortgage. But, uh, so we'll just leave that out. But at that time, he was interested. They, wanted, they were creating a reputation of being active in the community and helping the community. And so he said, well, I'm interested in that. But you're going to have to do some things. You're going to have to give us a, 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 a professional accountant's audit. That was going to be several thousand dollars for eight years' worth of audits. You're going to have to pay these legal fees and these closing fees and this and that and the other thing. And it was just like, whoa, you know, we, we're not going to have the money to do that. That's something we're, that's unexpected. And then he said, uh, this is my assistant, and she'll help you through the process. I met her. She looked like she was like 22 or 23 maybe. Now, remember, I was around 40 at that time. And so that, that seemed like quite a youngster to be in a position at the bank. It was like, okay, she's going to help us, great. And she was bubbly, just, ooh, all the time. <laughs> just like me. No, not quite. And I thought, oh, boy, airhead. Is that on the tape? Oh, no. But you know why she was bubbly? She couldn't wait to talk to me. I got saved four weeks ago. She told me the church she got saved in, they preached the gospel. I got saved four weeks ago. I can't believe it. I can't believe I'm going to be able to help you. She convinced her boss to waive all fees, all audits, and to approve us on paper. Boom. His signature was enough to give us our first mortgage on that building. Wow. What a coincidence. And God had blessed that young lady, I don't remember her name, but God had blessed that young lady so that she could bless us. Now, you're in a seasoned church now, but you were once young. The church was once young. 41 years, I suppose in church history, 41 years is not so, not so uh, old, but in... In reality of generations, this is no longer a young church. It's a seasoned church. It's an experienced church. But in those early years, many, many, many blessings came from the Heavenly Father who worked in other people's lives. They were older lives. They were more experienced lives. They were recognized lives. They were professional lives. They were ministerial lives. But he worked in their lives, and because of that, White Oak received the blessing. And because White Oak received the blessing, the members of White Oak received the blessing. We had experiences with more seasoned lives individually. Missionaries Les Zerby and Raider and Ann Hawkins and members Harold and June Logan and Frida Williams and Audrey Newcomb and Maxine McGeehee and Lucille Oates and folks who were saved and had a history of loving the Lord and helping young Christians discover that. That was so important. So important. They blessed us by being familiar with God's character, by bringing testimonies of victory, by sharing anecdotes of the old-time religion. Now, I have to say that I heard Lucille Oates' anecdotes more than once, but... 
The people that are laughing knew Lucille. She's with the Lord now. But yes, that was important. That was an encouragement that God worked. Blessed with examples of practical godly living. An older Potiphar, though an unbeliever, was blessed so that Joseph could benefit. An older generation of Christians had been blessed so a young white oak could benefit. Now, Potiphar also experienced that collateral blessing because once Joseph was part of his household, his household prospered even more because of Joseph being there. So as we look around, trying to see those who've been a blessing to this church in its past, it's obvious that some names, some people are closer at hand. I was surprised at how many were in those very early days. Really, that was, that was a blessing to see that. How many of you have been steadfast all these years? But there have been more that have come, right? More faces that I'm a guest that have come, and maybe you saw me the last time two or three years ago, or maybe not, but, oh, okay, that's the guy. That's the name we've heard. That's okay. At this stage, however, there are some around you in the church that are now the older, experienced ones that weren't in 1980, 1981, 1985. We've got Pastor and Mrs. Lejeune, who, although not old, are experienced in ministry and called. Pastor and Mrs. Peslak were with you. Some of you young folks have your parents. And although I don't know their names or yours, perhaps, God blesses you through them. And you can bless them through you. Some are more distant. Maybe it's a youth leader who's gone on to another church. Some, some might be a missionary who counseled you when they came and visited and presented their work. Some might be just an author. You've read their books. You've never met them. But because they were blessed with a skill to write books and express to you their Christian walk, you've been blessed. All of us here are the recipient of those kinds of blessings. All of us, without exception. Joseph was young at this stage in his life in chapter 39, but he would age, he would age, and so have you. You have become, many of you here, who've been with this church through the years, not just from the beginning, maybe the last five years, maybe the last ten years, maybe the last twenty years, and those who were here earlier, you have become the Priscilla's and Aquila's. You have become the Silas's and the Phoebe's and the Chloe's over the last four decades. You brought along the Timothy's and the Titus's and the John Mark's now. Children have become single adults, and adults have become life mates and parents and grandparents. And, of course, over the years, it's natural for memories to fade. I've given you some of mine because they're as if they happened yesterday. But overall, memories fade. They become fables and they lose their intensity. A Labor Day blitz when 12,000 Gospels of John were distributed in Stratford in one day. 
a $5,000 Christmas offering to help buy a new printing press for bearing precious seed in Ohio. When the church finances were stiff and tight, but folks were kind and generous. Our dedication of the converted auditorium upstairs and the Jewish newspaper reporter that came to cover it for the local paper got saved. Marriages that have been healed by the grace of God, financial needs that somehow have been providentially met, and of course, we have to remember me hitting a home run at the Memorial Day picnic on the softball field at Booth Park. God worked in other people's lives, and we were all beneficiaries. God has blessed the church with his glory for our sakes. I want you to put your name in the blank, the blank to follow. God blessed White Old Baptist Church for Barry's sake. I want you to think in your mind. You don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to think in your mind. Put your name in there. God blessed White Oak Baptist Church for your name's sake. And if you'll think like that, not just for a moment, not just for a five-minute period, but if you'll think like that, that God is blessing our church and I am the beneficiary, you'll be more enthusiastic about being a blessing to others, about committing your life in such a way that other people will benefit. Are you willing in the future, from this day forth, to meet a challenge? Are you willing to stay the course? Are you willing to choose purity over popularity? Are you willing to to accept humility and live that and combat pride? Will you younger Christians grow into the Jim and Joanne Owenses and the Pierre and Connie Spieszewskis and the John and Carla Chagrues and the Bob and Sally Nastasias and the Richard and Angela Lejeunes. Will you commit to grow? Because the church doesn't stop today. It's celebrating 41. I'm pretty certain I won't be here for the 82nd anniversary. Pretty sure. But if the Lord tarries in his second coming, wouldn't we want to know that White Oak will be steadfast on its 82nd anniversary? That will happen if you understand that White Oak Baptist Church has been blessed for your sake. And now, the generations are changing continually. Not just once, not just every 10 years. Are you willing, as a younger Christian, to be blessed and to pass on that blessing to others of answered prayer and testimonies and teaching volunteerism and soul winning and discipling? Are you willing to pass that on? To commit yourselves that I want to be the source of blessing for other people. That's not a haughty thought. That's not a proud, proud thought. I just want to be in the chain of history of a church which clearly has been strengthened, has been energized, has been blessed by the Lord God. Are you willing to commit in your heart and spirit 
to that kind of dedication. Heavenly Father, I thank you for leading me to come here 41 years ago, my wife and I, in a U-Haul truck. I'm thankful for my sons who are willing to work alongside us to grow up in an atmosphere that sometimes deprived them of some of the things other kids did because of our commitment to the church, but I'm thankful for their response. I ask, Lord, right now, here in this auditorium, work in folks' hearts to consider this. If they have never received Christ, then this church exists to be a blessing to them that here and now someone can open a Bible and share verses and lead them to the peace and security of knowing their sins are forgiven, that a home in heaven awaits them, that their life has real purpose. For those who are saved, I pray that if there are any that have considered church just the, well, that's the Sunday morning thing I do, or maybe I come Sunday morning in another service or two, but, you know, that's it. If some would commit to prayer and praying for the leaders and the ministries of the church, that's part of sharing the blessings with others. If others would begin to see the need to support the church financially, maybe take a a step of faith to do that. For others to volunteer, to lead, lead their voices and their talents and gifts, whatever it is, I pray that if there are some here who've never really made a spiritual commitment to the future, that today would be a day. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to preach, and I ask, Lord, you'd use the invitation now for folks to spend time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor.